On today's episode of Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand, I got a chance to chat with Brad Staples from Vuray. We talked all about some of the huge pivots that they've had to make over the years. And we talked about the things that he's good at and the things that he's not good at and what to hand off as a marketing manager and what to really make sure that you keep your pulse on. Uh, if you guys are uh, you know, still managing your marketing, this is a great podcast for you to listen to. Um, these guys have really scaled and done an incredible job um, with their pivots uh, that they've made. So I think you guys are really going to like this one. Before we begin, we wanted to let you know some really exciting news and something that we've never talked about before on the podcast. Our team at Mindful Marketing is growing, and we have room for one new brand a month that's looking to grow. Now, before you apply, please note that we are looking for businesses that are ready to scale and have the capacity and the inventory for large influx of orders. This opportunity is only available to brands that have at least one year of sales history and are ready for explosive growth. If this sounds like you, go to mindfulmarketing.co slash apply and start the process today. Now, on to today's episode. All right, I am here with Brad Staples from Vure. Welcome to Secrets of Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand. Thank you. Great yeah. to be here. Uh, we've just been chatting away uh, since, <laughs> since 9 o'clock today. And uh, yeah, I, th- I think this is going to be an awesome conversation. I'm really, really excited to see how you guys have grown, um, talk about some of the pivots you guys have made. Uh, before we get started, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Uh, so... I oversee the marketing team here at Vuray. I actually started when I came up to Logan six-ish years ago, building out the sales team here. Um, but over the past three years, I've, I've been doing 100% marketing. And so uh, overseeing all of our social teams, uh, community management, as well as most of our content and design. Cool. Uh, oversee it all. So I've, had, I've been able to wear a lot of hats, have my hands in a lot of different pots, and be horrible at enough things to know what what I'm actually good at. So yeah, 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 yeah. And so and so, what are you good at? <laughs> what is that magic? What that Brad magic? Yelling at people mainly. <laughs> uh, hey, that's what I'm good at too. Yeah, I mean, just just laying down the iron fist, being a tyrant in the office. <laughs> um, no, I think I think for uh, for me, I've always enjoyed writing. I've always enjoyed relationships, and kind of combining those two has been. Uh, really helpful in allowing us to build some of the relationships that have helped our brand scale using the leverage of other people's reach uh, Mm, and and their relationships. And so um, where, where I fall short, I'm not a great numbers guy. So I've always outsourced digital marketing. I am awful at design and creative. So I've always had someone on our team who's really, really great with that stuff. Uh, I've got some horrible stories about running social media. That's another one I won't touch anymore. <laughs> um, so I, I can stay kind of 30,000 feet up and, and know when things are working and when they're not looking at some, some common metrics. But as far as running them, I, uh, I've, I've gotten good at saying no, uh, yeah, we'll put it that awesome. way. So. I, I, I just want to take a little aside for the listeners right now. Um, if you're a founder or, uh, you know, head of marketing, VP of marketing, CMO listening to this, which is generally the people who are listening to this podcast, think about that and where you can outsource and the things that, you know, you're not good at. Um, it's just so important. I, I, I cannot say enough after 
um, you know, growing our business to where we're at, uh, we just wouldn't be there without outsourcing and hiring well. Um, and I, I can imagine that you're that you're saying basically that exact same thing. Hundred percent. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's awesome. Uh, let's talk about you guys had an interesting transition. So four years ago, you guys made a massive pivot. Um, can you talk to me about that? Because that must have been incredibly scary. Yeah. Uh, there were some things in place that made it a little less scary, uh, namely the size of our company at the time. We didn't have a big following, so making a pivot for us, we weren't burning a lot of bridges. But the, the long and short of it is that uh, the brand started way back in 2010, and at that time, it was very much like a, uh, call it a surf and skate apparel business. Okay. And the the brand was really riding the wave of... Um, kind of YouTube videos. We had partnered with some videographers that did really cool kind of Red Bull style oh, okay. uh, yeah, yeah. videos that were, they were getting some good traction. And uh, so we, we wanted to be this, we always, we were always active lifestyle. We always wanted to promote getting out and being, and being active and being healthy. Uh, we were just catering to a much younger demographic. And around that same time going into 2013, 14, I came on telling a telling of 2014, uh, there was a, a pretty big paradigm shift in the surf industry as a whole. Uh, you had major players going out of business to file for bankruptcy. Uh, the general trend of surf clothing, uh, as far as being popular with teens, was starting to shift. Um, so what was like the? Do you, do you have any any idea what the what that reasoning was? Because I feel like I, surf, I, surf clothing has been around for. I mean that that was man two thousand two. That was right. Me. Like. Yeah. Your 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 Billabong, Quicksilver, yeah. you know, early, um, just about all of those brands started to take on much more of like a sports rather than surf. Uh, you know, the, the retailers you started to see struggle right around the same time. Pakistan filed for bankruptcy. Mm. Um, you had you know your Abercrombie and and your um, what was the other one you always saw Hollister. You know, yeah. in the mall. These guys really started to struggle. Uh, mm. That that trend that style of, of clothing was just sort of falling out of popularity it ebbs it flows anyone in fashion knows that that's what happens so we're going to these big surf shows we're looking around at all the players there the biggest players in the rooms are having real financial problems and we're like guys we're we're fighting for our elbow room in in a terrible industry totally. with shrinking here so we kind of had we developed a line of accessories uh, including bags to to really cater towards uh, that surf crowd. So they had these bright, vibrant prints on them, kind yeah. of coastal prints. What we didn't realize at the time is that while we were going towards surf and skate, they were actually selling well with female athletes. Oh, interesting. And so we uncovered this sort of odd niche that we thought was completely dominated by Nike, Under Armour, and Adidas. Yeah. And especially in that price point gym bag range, the thing we, we kind of – realized at that time is that these brands were bringing very, very conservative monochromatic styles to the marketplace that could be found everywhere, gotcha. everywhere. And so it's kind of a last ditch effort to, to keep the boat from completely sinking. We said, look, let's, let's put all of our cards where we feel like we have the absolute best uh, opportunity to grow and scale in a market that's actually growing, which fitness was at that time, especially athleisure wear. Yeah. So the blend and what, of what was the size of this boat? What was the size of this boat at the time? Was this a, a dinghy, a sport boat? I would, I a would yacht? say a dinghy with uh, far more shotgun holes in it 
than, than 10 left. I mean, it was, I think at that time it was like, we had six people okay, okay. at the yeah. company. Uh, you know, one of our founders had, had just left for another opportunity. Um, so it really was kind of like, uh, this, this is it. If this doesn't work, we're done. We're going back and getting day jobs. Yeah. Yeah. And as a test, we fought our way into an active work trade show over in Huntington Beach, California. We were the only brag brand there. And we developed a line of prototypes, uh, just like pre-selling this stuff. Had yeah. no sales or name, no reputation in the space. And the show was a hit. Uh, we awesome. had really big retail partners in, in, you know, in the B2B space. They were coming over like, oh, we've been looking for something like this that's you know, it's got, it's bright, it's vibrant, it's, yeah. it's keeping up with those athleisure trends and, uh, you know, how soon can we get this stuff? And so that was, that was summer of 2015. And during that same summer on our social media, we did this massive 180 day transition where we went from teen surf and skate to kind of young female activewear, mm. uh, focusing on, on bags and, and the rest is history. Wow. Amazing. So let's talk about that a little bit. So uh, interesting in 2015 um, that you made the big transition and made that huge decision based on B2B. Would it be the same now in 2020? Like would, would that have been the, like the route that you'd go is like, Hey, first let's test this with wholesalers and then let's bring it to the like D to C market. Or, or would you have swapped that now? I I'm just, I'm just interested to see yeah. sort of where other brands are at with that. Oh, we certainly live in, in a different day and age. I would say no. I would say if, if I was doing the same thing now, it would be much easier to test and pivot using online yeah. resources. Yeah. We were just, I mean, B2B was in our blood. We, we knew that game. The founder had spent day near 10 years in the baby space um, doing the trade shows, the relationships, yeah. flying out, meeting with the buyers and things like that. And I will say for our brand, um, Nobody else was doing that. So it gave us an edge over our competitors because we were able to build our brand equity without having to pay for it, if that makes mm. sense. We had brand partners who were buying our products and selling their stores that was, that was giving our, our brand equity with our customers. It was giving us more of a reputation, yeah. uh, more value, you know, value in, in, in their lives. And, and I think that was really important for us getting going. It's a very different ball game now. So you know, we went B2B first. D2C was always there, but was not nearly as, as big of a, um, a piece of our revenue. Totally. And that's, that's starting to flip over the past couple of years. We want to balance that out a little bit, but it was, it was, a, it was a really important part of our journey for sure. The timing was right. Um, and I think, I think timing has a lot to do with what mediums you're using to build that equity with your customer base. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a great explanation. I, I just want to just chime in just for one sec. Cause it's my podcast, you know, and, and I can say whatever I want. <laughs> um, a lot, a lot of the brands um, that we work with and I consult with and, and that I uh, own as well. Um, we are uh, absolutely not against B2B. I think that B2B is an amazing marketing channel these days. But that's really all that we treat it as um, with, with our brands. Um, it's a great way to get your product out there, seen, um, you know, in the physical sort of stores. But that, to me, that's as far as I go. Like, I'm not going to try and acquire, you know, 7,000 stores, um, uh, you know, to have like half the margin, if not less than that. Um, 
that's just that's just my two cents on on B2B. I still think that it's incredible. I think for you brands out there who are just direct to consumer, you'll see a massive lift in overall sales, including D2C sales, once you get into stores. And it's it's a you know, we'll probably talk more about this later, but the concept of leverage when you're scaling a brand or business is really, really important. In the real estate game, leverage is using other people's money. Yeah. And marketing is using other people's reach. Mm. And, and the awareness they built, the clout they built with their customer base. And, and B2B is a fantastic way to use that leverage. And it's very cost effective, right? You're, you're essentially selling your products at Keystone or, or wholesale. Um, but yeah. Key, you know, Keystone for people who don't know, can you just explain that, Brad? Yep. Keystone is essentially just selling your product for uh, a 50% discount off of MSRP. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the typical retail is realer, you know, if your product costs 20 bucks, they're going to buy it for 10, they're going to sell it for 20. They're going to make uh, 50 points. Yeah. That's, that's basically Keystone. So, and you don't have to sell Keystone. No, like if you're, if you're a brand that people want, you don't have to sell Keystone. Like at our clothing company, um, we do 60, 40 and it's just like, that's what we do. That's what it is. <laughs> so. Yeah. And, and for a lot of, you know, if you're working with bigger retailers, uh, they are going to take more, right? They're going to, they're going to, you know, you talk about 60, 40, yeah. that'll swing in their favor, not yours. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But again, it's really good. Like I can, I can tell you for, it was really interesting. We got on board really early with Goop, which was Gwyneth Paltrow's uh, oh, yeah. brand. Yeah. I'd never heard of them. Uh, these buyers walked into a trade show booth and when they left, all of the neighboring booths are like, do you have any idea who that was? I'm like, uh, yeah, they're from Gop. They're like, you mean Goop? I was like, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, if you guys get in with those guys, it is a big, big deal. And, and I, you know, I looked, I had no idea who they were. Uh, we were, we were talking about a fish out of water. We had no idea we were doing this show. It was a miracle. <laughs> we got out of there looking like clowns. Uh, but we did land a deal with them, uh, started getting some of our product on that website. And, and it was amazing how many doors that one account opened for us. Again, leverage. Hmm. You had, you had a, a one retailer that had a very powerful reputation in the space. We didn't realize how big, but it was, it was that that opened up the doors to our selling with Nordstrom. Hmm. Um, it was that relationship that, uh, and then it was Nordstrom that opened up the, the door for International. Gotcha. So we had a lot of international uh, big hitters who were like, once you sell with Nordstrom, we're interested. Mm. You know, that, that tells us you've got what it takes to sell in a very, very competitive landscape. And so it was this chain reaction of leverage that allowed us to really scale the brand much faster than we would have been able to if we were just vying for attention in the DDC space. So... This is, this is so good. This is not something that we've really covered with a guest and, and how important this can be. So I really appreciate that, Brad. Like, I, I feel like that's, yeah, it's just, just great stuff. Can you talk to me, get, let's move over a little bit more to the D to C side. What are you guys doing right now um, with ambassadors? Um, I'm interested to hear about your program, what's working, what's not, um, and, and what sort of impact that's had on your guys' business. So a brief history, we started, you know, an ambassador program the way most brands would, which is you go out, you find either fantastic customers or people who really fit your persona that you'd like to represent your customer base. And you turn them into quote unquote ambassadors. Yeah. And we learned something early on that I think is really important for brands to realize is that we live in a day and age where influencers and ambassadors has become a business. 
So as soon as you call somebody an ambassador, it automatically creates this sort of scratch my back, scratch your back relationship where instead of just loving the brand, wanting to talk about it naturally, it was, okay, you call me an ambassador. That clearly means you think I've got some weight in this equation. Mm. What are you going to give me? Hmm. And, and we noticed as we started doing this a couple of years back, it was not very effective because the story they were telling about the brand and about the products was not genuine. It was, it was, and people, people can see through that. Oh my heck. It's, yeah. I mean, the, the, the BS radars, radars on customers today are so fine tuned and so sharp. Yeah. Um, if, if you are paying for a post, if you are, you know, commissioning ambassadors and things like that, people smell it a mile away. And it's yeah. not to say that it doesn't work. It's not to say that it doesn't. I mean, you look at the stats, people find brands all the time on Instagram they never heard of. It's fantastic. Yeah. But do they believe it enough to actually go and buy it? And, and we had somebody, it was actually a nurse who had a really big fitness following, buy one of our products. Uh, let's see, this was like last summer this happened. Anyway, she did a story and, and this was a product that I, I mean, did okay. It was a high price item, one that we hadn't really, anyways, it, it, was, it was on the chopping block. This girl did a, a, an Instagram story, sold it as like a great gym bag slash nursing bag. Yeah. And we sold like 250 of these things in 48 hours. And, and uh, was this something that you already had like a relationship with her or she was just genuinely just posting? Didn't it? even know she existed. Wow. Didn't know who she was. In fact, it took us about a week to figure out what the heck had just happened. Yeah. And when we finally figured out what had happened, that was a, that was a light bulb for me. Hmm. And I realized we have to figure out a way how to create very real organic uh, stories that are being told on social media without labeling these people as ambassadors or influencers or things like that. And that's, that kind of opened the gate to what, what I call community marketing. And that's if you have someone who you would normally call an ambassador, what you really want to do is wrap a community around that person, okay. wrap value around that person beyond just your product that makes them just a diehard fan of your, of your brand. And as we've done that, we've noticed that these stories that are being told about Vure and our products and things like that are so genuine and authentic that somebody with a few thousand followers on Instagram is delivering more impact revenue. This is monetary impact for our brand. Yeah. Then somebody who had 300,000 followers on Instagram and we paid a thousand dollars for the post and we're paying nothing for this one. It costs us time, right? Yeah. And so what, what does that time, yeah. what does that time look like? Like, do, like talk, can, can you talk practically? Like what does that community look like? Like, is this a VIP group or what, what is this exactly? Hey guys, just a reminder from the beginning of the episode, our team at Mindful Marketing is growing and we have room for one new brand a month that's looking to grow. Now, before you apply, please note that we are only looking for businesses that are ready to scale and have the capacity and the inventory for a large influx of orders. This opportunity is only available to brands that have had at least one year of sales history and are ready for explosive growth. If this sounds like you, go to mindfulmarketing.co slash apply to start the process today. Now, back to today's episode. So for us, it's, it's Facebook groups. Okay. Um, we communicate in Facebook and, and email, uh, but the time comes into 
we have to do enough in this group and, and even on a one-on-one -on -one basis to make sure that they know that it's personal. I'll give you an example of something that Tesla does. When you buy a Tesla car, uh, you get a little app. And in that app, there is a small little referral link you can pass off to your friends. Yeah. They don't promote it, they don't push it, and they sure as heck don't incentivize it. I have a good friend who uh, got a few of his buddies to buy uh, their cars using his referral link for yeah. Tesla. Well, a month later, uh, he's, he had two kids at the time. A month later, he gets two Tesla Hot Wheels, Power Wheels, excuse me, yeah. uh, in the mail delivered to his house. Um, one black, one pink, boy and girl. And he's like, the only way they could have known that is if someone had taken the actual time to go on, learn about who I am. This is Tesla. This is a big brand. They had someone who spent the time to get to know me personally and send me a personal gift. He's like, I'll buy Tesla cars the rest of my life for that right there. Because customers value your time more than they do your money. Yeah. If they see something that they know just costs you money, very easily overlooked. But we don't overlook time, right? So if, if, if a brand's spending honest, genuine time, this might be the form of like just a thank you note, yeah. uh, an email from the CEO, um, you know, saying thank you for what they're doing to kind of promote your brand. Those are the little things that are tough to scale, but my gosh, their, their impact on, you know, your, your, your customers endearment to your brand and the story they will tell about your brand from there on out is immeasurable. It's huge. And, and so you know, the point with that is like not every good thing you can do for your customers is scalable. Mm. It's not automatable, but it's extreme. It can be extremely powerful in yeah. helping you scale your brand. Again, it's using that leverage principle we kind of talked about earlier. So that for us is kind of what it looks like. We have one community that's wrapped around fitness professionals, yeah. uh, group fitness instructors, personal trainers, and we go above and beyond to give these guys things. You only need so many gym bags in your life. Let's be honest. Yeah. So I'm not just sending a bunch of product at these guys. We're building out job networks. We're delivering pro discounts on other brands and other products that are important for them. Cool. Uh, supplement companies, you know, workout equipment and things like that. We do events all over the place that allow just trainers, only trainers to come and hang out with each other within certain cities, get to know each other. You know, this is, this is the value you bring to somebody uh, when your product doesn't matter to them. And, mm -hmm it goes to enhance your product, excuse me, your brand, so that when they need your product, there's nobody else they're thinking about yeah. ever. And if somebody asks them about that type of product, there's no other brand they're ever gonna recommend but yours. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of how we're approaching it. That is just super, super good stuff. I, I feel like that goes along some of the lines that we've been talking about on the podcast, and we've, we've done a couple of episodes, um, some of our uh, regular sort of non-guest episodes. Um, on a couple of these things that, that you can do. Some of the stuff we've been talking about is um, personalized videos sending to first-time customers. Totally. Um, um, huge thing. Um, uh, also handwritten cards. Uh, big one, we partnered with um, the company Handwritten um, who actually use robots with ballpoint pens to send out handwritten cards. Um, oh. Incredible uh, value there. Like I, I just, I feel like, like like we're kind of on the same page right now with um, people need to be buying from people that they like, right? And people that actually care about them and brands that actually care about them. And the day of, you know, the drop shipper who doesn't care, uh, I, I, think it's, I think it's starting to leave, right? The, the drop shipper, yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, and it's, I, mean, I don't it, know how else to, to to describe that sort of like, hey, these aren't our products. We're just going to sell you some stuff. Well, I mean, look, any anyone can go on and sell a few hundred thousand dollars worth of e-com products in in, in a year. Yeah, anybody can do it, right? But to actually build a brand to get to a one, three, five, ten million dollar uh, mark, you you have to have brand equity. You've got to have reputation. Yeah, and and uh, you know, depending on whatever you know product space that you're in, the, the recipe is is really the same. Um, you're investing in relationships. It's funny to me that if you say that in a sales context, right? If someone asks you, what's the most important element of uh, salesmanship? Well, let's say it's, it's trust. Yeah, right. You have to build rapport and trust with whoever you're you're selling to. Nobody talks about that in D 2 C. Nobody talks about that in e-commerce because people were like, "Well, how do you scale trust? How do you scale?" a personal relationship and yeah. and the shorter answer is well you, you don't and that's okay yeah right focus on those vips focus on leverage right focus on building that kind of trust and rapport with people that can do a lot of good uh for for your brand because you can't do it with every customer you start getting tens of thousands of customers a year do them and you'll spend 24 hours a day making making videos for them um so you've got to get a bit more selective about who you're going to do that for. What are their attributes? What is the leverage you're, you're looking to, to utilize there and grow your brand? But I mean, those, those are the things that nowadays that people are starving for because they're not getting it from, from the big guys. So Yeah, yeah. Uh, talking about scaling video reach, just so you know, we have actually developed a whole system around that. So. <laughs> Awesome. We've developed actually a whole new company around that that we're uh, we're going to be unveiling pretty soon because I think that it's that powerful. Um, totally. The personalized video reach outs. So um, th- this has just been great. I, I absolutely love um, uh, the the things that you brought to the table today. What I'd like to know, and I think you've already talked about this, but I have to ask the question: What is your secret to scaling? Uh, I'm I'm going to go back to leverage. And, and here's the real reason why some people can come into, and I've, I've, they're in our space. They have tremendous reputation within their industry already. Well, in that case, you can use your own leverage, right? You can, you can save yourself tens of thousands of dollars in ad spend by using the channels you already own yeah. uh, that have great reputation in that space. Little guys like me in the industry, we don't have that reputation, so we have to go and find leverage, right? Most people think scale e-com, you dump a ton of money into there and go gangbusters on ads. And ads are, are great. They are a very small piece of the equation that allows your business to grow. I would, I would argue that people would surprise themselves how much revenue they can start to generate an e-com business without spending a single dime on advertising. Yeah. A single yeah. dime. And you do it by, again, you've, you've got to start developing relationships. You have to be able to sell yeah. both yourself and your product, and, and go out there and find people that look, they're going to have, they're going to have a lot more reasons to ignore you than they will to give you attention. And, and so you've got to go out of your way and over deliver an experience for these people to get buy-in from them and get trust and get them talking about your brand. So that can take the form of influencers. Uh, I would say that every industry has industry experts. Yeah. Uh, in, our, you know, in our space, these are fitness instructors. 
uh, you walk into a gym and whatever your fitness instructor is wearing, using, eating, drinking, whatever it is, you yeah. so you're looking up to them. Yeah, totally. So our job is to is to is to use that reputation and use that reach. We have to create leverage there, and so that's why we've wrapped an entire entire community of value around these people. Uh, so we're the ones they're thinking of, and so every industry has that. You've got industry experts, you've got influencers, and your job is to really start developing trust and rapport with those key players uh, to, to use leverage. That's your other people's money, right? Yeah, that's the totally. yeah. thing is having like an investor come in on a, on, a, on a real estate deal. These guys have the reach, they've got the power, yeah. you've got the product, yeah. right? And you've got a brand that solves a problem for someone in their industry. And all you've got to do is, is, is kind of, you know, sometimes you got to pay them a little commission. That's okay. It's not selling your soul. That's, that's part of the game. Um, I mean, sometimes it makes sense to, I, this is be a rare occasion, but you know, even some profit sharing, maybe even equity in your company, right? I mean, there's, there's a lot of ways you can kind of slice and dice it to where you're using someone else who has a, a, a mega horn that gets you in front of, you know, tens of thousands of your potential customers. Yeah. And you can either bleed your way there through ad spend and try to convince people online, or you use voices that already have trust. Yeah. Well, and, we, and I think that's the key there. We, uh, we, we've actually, we've been talking with a couple of guests about this recently um, who have partnered with celebrities and one, I, I had recently had Chris Gronkowski on the podcast, whose brother is obviously very famous. Um, and, and for him, he wasn't actually at first leveraging that at all. Um, and it wasn't until he went on Shark Tank and partnered up with A-Rod and um, with Mark Cuban to when he actually realized like, oh, we can like leverage the name, right? Like, so Ice Shaker became so much bigger um, because of, of that and leveraging just the whole audience that they had. And Rob is now one of his business partners. And um, it's just, it's super interesting to think like, yeah, like you may, I, I just love the, the whole idea of leverage, right? It's uh it's absolutely brilliant. One, one thing that um, I find interesting in this is for brands starting out. So I, I actually, I recently had the CMO of Movement Watches on and uh, he was with them since 2013. And we talked about that, um, uh, like sort of how to grow, like how he would grow this time. And he said he would focus first on performance marketing before anything, because you've got to get people in the door. And then slowly, you know, first performance, you know, then you're going to worry about your email and SMS and all of that. And then really focus that those dollars on brand. And I think that the brands that I'm chatting with a brand like yours, you're at that place now where you can spend that money on brand and on community and where it's so ridiculously important. And, and for anybody who listens to this podcast, um, you'll sort of know the story of my wife and I's clothing company. And we recently had a launch where we didn't put a dime into ads. And we, on the first day, we did 200K um, of just a launch and uh, straight D to C. And for us, that's incredible because it's, it just shows the equity that, that we've built. And so I, I hope that that sort of inspires people. Um, you do have to put in some of that either hard work or money at first right. to, to build up your customer base. Otherwise, nobody's going to know about you. Yeah, and it's, it's you know, there's... I can, I can definitely see the role of performance marketing, especially when you're getting going. Um, the one thing money can buy is awareness, right? Yeah. It, it can't buy trust, but it can buy awareness. It can, it can get your product out in front of a lot of people. And so I can, I can definitely see the logic in having 
uh, that as uh, an early piece of your, your scaling equation. But if you don't have it, right, and, and you don't want to give away half your company for, you don't have big investors, I, I think the point you're making, and I agree with it, is that that's okay. You can still scale, you can still uh, grow and actually do quite well and generate that revenue and that cash flow to be able to go and reinvest into ads and, and more awareness yeah. by, by partnering with the right people and the right voices and having that trust from day one is yeah. so that's yeah. a great point. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, this has been a great conversation. We're going to, we're going to move on to our lightning round just cause I have to, it's just something I have to do, you know, whatever, whatever <laughs> I'm ready. Okay. Uh, favorite tool or app that you're using right now? Uh, the one that I've been using a lot lately is a, is a Shopify app called Shogun. Oh and yeah. Page builder. I, yes. I, I love it because for a long time we're not a heavy HTML, uh, you know, knowledge base. We don't have anyone in here that just is like, building out HTML pages all the time. This is a great app for anyone who wants to build out super customized landing pages that are very functional and dynamic with your website. Um, and uh, so we've, we've been using this one a lot lately to uh, actually improve our performance advertising and cool. have, you know, better landing pages for the traffic we're driving to the website. So uh, oh, I see. So you're, you're sending traffic to the Shogun pages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, we're actually in the process. I mean, our, our pretty soon our entire website will be built. Um, almost entirely around Shogun pages. Yeah, cool. That's awesome. Uh, favorite podcast that you're listening to right now? Uh, so I, I'm, I'm a little bit of like an investment nerd. Oh, awesome. Uh, so mine may not lend itself too well to like the, the, the e-com community. I'm, I'm a big fan of, of Tony Robbins. I really like his, his podcast because then he covers a lot of different things for entrepreneurship, but um, the one I've listened to most recently actually is, is multifamily investing and, and with, uh, within, within the real estate community. So is not Grant Cardone or no, that guy, that guy scares me. Uh, <laughs> if speaking he's one like to the, one. He's, Grant Cardone to me is like the Gary V of, uh, um, real estate multifamily investing world. It's yes. like, yeah, like, like I'll follow him. I'll, I'll listen to what he has to say, but everything's with a grain of salt. Yeah, would you? I mean, would you? Would you give the guy your money? Right. That's that's the thing. I never have. Yeah, I. <laughs> so he anyway. inspired me. <laughs> I, like the guy, the guy can sell ice to Eskimos, but he, but he, uh, yeah, he scares me a little bit. Anyways, so I admittedly haven't haven't listened to a, a ton of podcasts right now that have to do more with ecom, but um, oh, that's fine. That's fine. I just like to know what what people are listening to. The fact that you yeah. didn't say how I built this is just a step in the right direction. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have heard that one. I've heard a couple on there. Uh, I listened to uh, the, I can't remember the guy's name, the guy that built Shopify. Uh, oh. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I know it's a European name and I've already, but he yeah. lived in Canada for a long time. Anyways, his story is pretty cool on there. So I listened to that on there, but no, not an avid listener there. Uh, one other question, a founder that you look up to. Oh, geez. I know I didn't give this one to you before, but no, you didn't. Uh, you know, I it's it's interesting. There's you hear all these the, the Elon Musk and the, and the Bezos stories and things like that, but the, the founders that I tend to enjoy talking to the most are like the brand new ones. Mm. Uh, they're just scrappy, 
Yeah. And and they're they're bootstrapping and and they're still humble. They don't think they own the world yet. They know they've got a long road ahead of them. Um, they're just trying to figure figure this thing out. Totally. Yeah. And and, and Salt Lake is is a really great startup community. There's a, there's a ton of startups coming out of there, and so I've had a lot of friends who are kind of doing this journey. And I get far more from those conversations than I do from listening to uh, sometimes like the the guys who quote unquote made it. Yeah. Uh, you you sort of get to a point where you're you you just can't speak the same language anymore. Totally. And so I've, and for I've, them, they're I've, probably bored too, Brad. Those guys. They probably. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. So I, you know, there's, there's a lot of fantastic stories out there. Um, one of my favorites is Phil Knight's story about, yeah. about growing Nike. Uh, if you haven't read shoe dog, put it on your list. Um, and it's, it, but to prove my point, one of the things he says in that book is as, as huge as Nike has become as fantastic uh, of a brand, he's like, I would trade it all to go back to those days in the sixties and seventies where it was me and three other guys in a warehouse selling running shoes. It's like that for me was where it was at. And it's like, there's, there's a lot of truth to that. You know, this stage of a lot of people are like, I can't wait till I've made it. Enjoy this stage. I mean, this is, this is fun. It's, it's stressful. You, you gotta, you gotta a million reasons to give up, but you're going to look back and you're going to miss this. uh, When, when you're, you're too big to be relatable anymore. Yeah. Oh, great answer. Brad, where can people find out more about you? Well, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, yeah, that's probably where we connected, much. right? Yes. Yeah. I, I don't do as much on there as I need to, but um, I, I love talking shop. People can, my email address is, is a tough one. It's just brad at vray.com. Um, <laughs> anybody can get a hold of me there, but LinkedIn's a great way to connect. And, and uh, if anybody wants to talk shop and just trade ideas, um, I'm, I'm always in learning mode. And, uh, would love to just kind of spend the yarn with anybody who's interested. So we'll love it. I'm hoping you can join our mastermind because I uh, plan on it. That sounds, sounds like a perfect uh, next step. Um, Brad, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, this is a blast, man. Thank you for having me. Hey guys, we hope you really enjoyed today's episode. Can we ask you a favor? Hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode and share this with your e-commerce store owner friends. We also love reviews. So if you could leave us one on Apple Podcasts, that would mean so much to us. Just a reminder from the beginning of the episode, our team at Mindful Marketing is rapidly growing and we have room for one new brand a month that's looking to grow. Now, before you apply, please note that we're only looking for businesses that are ready to scale and have the capacity and the inventory for a large influx of orders. This opportunity is only available to brands that have had at least one year of sales history and are ready for explosive growth. If this sounds like you, go to mindfulmarketing.co slash apply and start the process today. I hope you guys have a great week.